This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Welcome, welcome. Fabulous to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Sustainable-ish podcast. I have had so much fun recording this most recent series of episodes and feel so lucky to get the chance to speak to all these amazing people doing wonderful things and to share their stories and their brilliant projects with you all. I really hope that it uh, informs, educates, inspires. Uh, that it makes you realise just how powerful and how much change we can all create. And this episode is no exception, and I have been waiting for this one for a while. Patience and tenacity are perhaps not my strong points, but I have donned my big girl pants and followed up and followed up on this one and was genuinely delighted to finally get the chance to have him on the podcast. Phil Corbell is the co-founder of the Carbon Literacy Project, a not-for-profit that offers everyone a day's worth of carbon literacy training. So this training covers climate change, carbon footprints, why it's relevant to us all, and importantly, what we can do to do our bit. I first heard about it during lockdown and excitedly signed up for an online course and proudly gained my carbon literacy certificate. And I had every intention of then rapidly creating my own carbon literacy course, but I'm afraid my tendency to get distracted by many and varied shiny new things (laughs) means that somewhat inevitably it took way longer than I had originally planned. But in March of this year, I was able to, a little bit nervously and a lot excitedly, launch Talking Climate, which is the sustainable-ish carbon literacy accredited course. And since then, I'm delighted to say that 135 people have been on the course. Now, part of the course involves creating two carbon literacy pledges at the end for action that's going to be taken to reduce our carbon footprint. So one has to be an individual action and one as a group one or a collective action. So that means that 270 pledges to reduce carbon have been created off the back of the course, which is just amazing. And to know that these 135 people and their 270 pledges are adding to the over 41,000 people who have also done their carbon literacy training around the world. And that really helps to calm any feelings that I quite often have of overwhelm and that feeling that you're never quite doing enough in the face of such big challenges. Running the carbon literacy uh, training has been such a brilliant experience for me personally. It never fails to lift my spirits. 
it takes people on a real roller coaster of a journey. There's some uncomfortable stuff to look at when we start to dig into the realities of where we are now, the impact of climate change around the world and where we're heading. But almost without fail, I don't want to say without fail. I don't know if there's anyone who's, no one's told me that they've come away from the course feeling worse, but so, but, um, but without fail, I'm going to be brave, say that without fail, everyone comes out of the other end feeling more confident about the science, the positive things that they can do, and importantly about talking to others about this, which feels absolutely huge. So stay tuned to hear more from Phil about his story, the Carbon Literacy Project journey, the impact it's already having and the opportunities they're exploring to increase that. I hope you enjoy this one. I'm pretty sure you will. And if you're interested in finding more about the Sustainable-ish Carbon Literacy course, I will pop a link into the show notes. There are still spaces available on the November and the December courses, and I would love, love to see you there. So enjoy this one and I will catch you next time. Hello, Phil. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, nice to be here. I've been wanting to, trying to pin you down for a long time to get you to come on this, but you're such a busy man. So thank you so much for making the time to, to come and talk to me or come and talk to us. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been uh, admirably persistent. <laughs> That's one word for it. That's one, no, 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 no. Uh, genuine, genuine. Um, so can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, where you are and what you do. So I'm Phil Corbell. I'm the co-founder and director of advocacy of the Carbon Literacy Project. I'm in my kitchen in Stockport. In Stockport. Um, okay. Uh, Carbon Literacy Project first seems a sensible place to start. What is the Carbon Literacy Project? The Carbon Literacy Project is a not-for-profit based in Manchester that is uh, changing the world by introducing this concept of carbon literacy, by which we mean a baseline competence that enables anyone to do their best thing to minimize the impact of the climate crisis. So it's a shareable framework for climate action training that anyone can use. So we don't train, we enable the use of our framework and the idea is that um, in the same way as the climate crisis affects everyone, everyone can contribute. But what's the best thing? Mm. So it's this day's worth of consistently relevant, practical training that leaves you with actions that you've devised into your workplace, neighbourhood or place of learning. I think I've heard you on another podcast talk about... Um... And com- correct me if I've completely misremembered this, but talk about carbon literacy almost as this really basic understanding so that people know what a high and low impact carbon action is in the same way that we recognise a £50 note versus a, a £5 note. Is that quite yeah. a good way of... It, it's a very good way of, of, of... Yes, I'm glad I said that. Yeah, well done, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, it is... It's a, this is what I mean about a baseline competence. It's about... It's like uh, not stepping into the road into, into speeding traffic. Or in a in a business context, um, if you're talking to colleagues or a client, can you open a conversation on climate risk and opportunity, whatever your post or job description? Mm. Yeah. And if you can't, and especially in business to business advice, uh, I'd venture that you're professionally incompetent. Okay, we're going to dive into that one in a little minute as well. Um, so, how did it? When and how did it start? 
um, in three weeks' time, we celebrate our 10th uh, birthday. Amazing. So myself and my co-founder, Dave Coleman, had an idea. We, we set up a social enterprise to sort of, like social enterprises, or, you know, to sit between the commercial and the charitable worlds um, to induce climate action. Mm. For a bit of a niche, you know, we'd both got a range of experience to bring to the table. Didn't quite know where it was going, but we quickly, um, we knew we had to start. And we quickly got a commission to work with Manchester City Council to help bring stakeholders together around their first uh, climate action plan. And if you've ever been to Manchester, it's got this mock Gothic pile of a town hall. Okay. It's so mock Gothic, it, it sometimes doubles for the Houses of Parliament. It's, you know, um, and we were in one of those sort of oak panelled committee uh, rooms with huge oil portraits of the city fathers looking down on us in a plenary for this process. And people were saying, we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this. And there's this stream of brilliant ideas coming in. And it struck me that it was all side stuff. It was tech and stuff to be done to people. And we'd ignored demand. And, it, you know, it was one of those sort of moments of, of revelation or inspiration, whatever you call it, where you go, duh, <laughs> we're missing a massive trick here. We've got so much to do and so fast. Where's the engagement? Where are the willing um, people to change their behaviours? Where mm -hmm. are the willing uh, consumers to buy this stuff? Where are the willing voters to support the policies? We've really, really missed a trick. So I, I said, hang on, folks, we need Manchester to be carbon literate. And everyone went, yes, we do. And it became a big audacious goal. Did they not just go, yes, we do? What does that mean? <laughs> it, it, they were polite enough not quite to say it. It took us a year to actually nail down what the hell we meant. Yeah. Um, uh, so we knew what we meant. We needed a large-scale culture shift, impact culture shift. So we start in one of the birthplaces of the Industrial Revolution, the original modern city, as we, as we style ourselves, and spread. So it had to be scalable, impactful, Achievable, you know. Mm. Uh, um, so we sat down with an amazing working group of employers, educators, campaigners. This is where having you know, come up with this concept, full credit to all those original partners and others subsequently to hone the proposition, but um, came up with, well, okay, yeah, it's training in it, knowledge in it, yeah, okay. Um, scalable, yeah, mm -hmm. framework, yeah. And so the idea of an adaptable framework that secured the necessary and effective content and methodology, values and actions, those are the consistent things, that people could put their own things into. It's vital. Mm. So it's not one size fits all, but it's uniform enough to succeed and spread. And we piloted it. Uh, the likes of Manchester City Council, Manchester Metropolitan University, and some school pilots and the like, and it soon started to crystallise. It took us the best part of two years, with me and Dave virtually solo, um, part-timing it. We got to two years about um, a thousand learners certified. Last Friday, we clocked our 42 thousandth learner 
And that last, the last thousand took us about three weeks. Seems to, yeah, for everything I've seen, it seems to be real exponential growth at the moment. And uh, We have a good hockey stick, Jen. Yes. <laughs> so the, the hockey stick graph people might have seen, the one we talk about in terms of carbon emissions shooting up, but you guys are having a hockey stick graph in terms of um, citizens becoming carbon literate. So um, 42,000 people now. What was your background before this then? I think I'm on to my third or fourth career. Um, <laughs> I love hearing that. This was portfolio stuff. Yes. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, I originally was in radio. I used to make documentaries for Radio 4. Oh, wow. Which led me to a moment where I was producing a programme about a couple riding a tandem back from Sydney for rainforest conservation. And I was getting cassettes. Uh, younger listeners, a cassette is a, it's a form <laughs> of analog audio with spools of tape. It's, it's brilliant. But anyway, I was getting these cassettes back from from all parts of the world, and uh, it struck me. I I don't want to be producing this. I want to do it. So in 1990, I packed up my then partner and a tandem bicycle, and we flew to Sydney and cycled back. Wow! And an experience like that doesn't leave you untouched. And I'm not just talking about my my bottom. It was, um, it was really, yeah, uh, my, my view of what sustainable development was radically altered. I, I think I set out as a traditional sort of conservationist, save the shrimp type, mm. you know, tree hugger. And then you meet um, people who earn a living from logging. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I want to put you out of work. Okay. Um, you meet people using slash and burn agriculture in Malaysia. Ah, you, you know, you face all these contradictions, livelihood bumping into, into ecology and the complexities of it. And, and uh, I suppose a three-dimensional view of sustainable development comes into play. Um, that, so that left its mark. And uh, yeah, coming up with the different words for tarmac was quite amusing as well. <laughs> sort of thing you do with on a long distance cycle ride, but got back and um, by a um, convoluted route, ended up setting up a charity to um, uh, establish community radio stations in disadvantaged areas of mm. the country. And that was lovely because it was it was marrying my broadcasting skills with a, a will to, you know, the activist part on sustainable yeah. development. On that side, the regeneration side of it, it's called Radio Regen. So that got me into training and how skills can impact on people. So that was, yeah, I suppose career two, and my, my entry into, into the not-for-profit world. 2002, my daughter Anna was born. Uh, 2004, my daughter Jess was born, and I was having internal conversations uh, with them in the future um, with, you know, I, I, sorry, I should say all the time, I, I, I was sort of a local you know, volunteer activists with the likes of Friends of the Earth. But that sort of, you know, playing out that future conversation with the girls going, uh, what do you do to stop the climate crisis, Daddy? Mm. And I was like, yeah, I, 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 I shook a tin. I, I waved a placard. And mm. thinking, yeah, damn, <laughs> I'm going to have to do something else about this. That's really interesting because I think for quite a lot of people, parenthood, I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because you you instantly become so much more aware of the fragility of the future, 
at the same time as you have no time, energy, headspace to be kind of doing anything about it. So I think um, I sometimes find that lots of people have been pretty sort of uh, eco or sustainable prior to having children and then have a hiatus whilst they, uh, you know, lose the will to live and lose the ability to sleep and all those sorts of things. And then and then sort of want a hand coming back to it or that having kids is genuinely your catalyst and your sort of eco-epiphany and like, crap, we need to do something about this. Yeah. So um, the phrase bubbled up. I'm sure it's not mine, but I, I, I want to leave my girls a future, not an apology. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so in the way that nagging instincts nag, you know, uh, Radio Regen, the charity, thriving, fine. Um, and I started lessening my hours there in order to start up Cooler Projects, which is the social enterprise. Um, yeah. And here I am having possibly grown up as a professional environmentalist and wear the badge with pride. Yeah, definitely. And you said you were director of advocacy and I pulled a face like, ooh, that sounds very impressive, but I don't really know what it means. If we were a corporate, I'd be the sales director. Okay, okay. I, okay. I'm the person that goes out and talks and talks, and yeah. talks, and talks about what we do. It's, it, and given my background in broadcasting, particularly, it's a bit of a dream. because Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, my life is a cycle of um, amazing conversations, um, trying to engage organisations across the world now uh, in what we do. And, and the, you'll recognise this, the multiplicity of starting points in these conversations. Mm. It's great. And you get an instinct for... Oh, what's, those, what's that person's starting point? What's the potential trigger that will get them to, to, well, not say yes, but to go further, mm. say mm. yes to the next thing, you know, mm. with this amazing confidence that we've got a thing that really works and a team that can deliver it. So having started out with me and Dave sort of chiseling out time from things that pay uh, to start a thing, we now have a, a staff of... 30 full-time equivalents on the payroll. Wow. Amazing team. I think it's safe in saying that Dave and I are the only people with grey hair in the whole, whole thing. Um, no, it's an extraordinary uh, youthful team who are, yeah, yeah, just uh, they deliver big time. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, oh, I'd like to find out more. I mean, there's so many... Well, there's so much to the Carbon Literacy Project, but as an individual, you can come along to the website and you can have a look and you can find out um, training courses that are happening and you can sign up to them, can't you? So mm. there's one, there's, yes, there's one run by someone called Jen Gale, I understand. <laughs> so, so my course is, is uh, and all the courses, the idea is that they're sort of sector specific or they're geographically specific is that right to try and make but it as some, relevant? some yeah I, I, so yeah the, um we insist on maximizing relevance or social learning jargon um but there's been so, such demand for some open courses mm. the majority of courses are internal to organizations um that now there's a really good ecosystem of independent trainers running uh, open courses some of which um caroline Harmon was one of the original ones, uh, Carbon Literacy for Interested Organisations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a very, very gener generic course. Um, I've seen one advertised today for SMEs in Cornwall. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
So, yeah, they break down. Uh, Elevate GM in Manchester do some for professional services. Uh, so they're still generic, but they're open. And yeah. they provide a fantastic way in to see what's the fuss about. <laughs> and meaning that you don't have to listen to me talk at you for any longer. You know, <laughs> no, it, you know it, it, it's go and find out. Uh, you know, a very reasonable price for a day's worth of training is more than a taster because it's the real thing. Yeah. And you see it happening. And most people going there have an interest in taking it further. So as you said, it's this day's worth of training, which can sound a little bit daunting because it's uh, sort of eight hours worth, isn't it? But hmm. um, certainly I've, well, I've done all kinds of variations. So I hmm. do some in the evening. So it's four two-hour sessions in the evenings, yep. or we do two four-hour sessions like in the mornings, or I have done sort of all day in-person ones as well. So there's ways to kind of make that, you know, if you're doing an open course, there's ways to make that fit into your lifestyle rather than yep. having to try and carve out um, a whole day as well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I call it a day's worth of learning and doing. So yes. homework can be part of it between the modules. We're talking to organizations who are doing sort of six hours of e-learning and then you come together right. to, yeah, to yeah. do a practical at the end. You know, so, so it's varied, but it has to be a day's worth. And we do get some sort of, really, a day's worth? Yes, because it's got to end in action. It's not just, here's climate change. Yeah. I'll leave you with that bad news. Bye. Sort of thing. Well, it's a bit like, um, I mean, one of the really common resources that I know a lot of courses use as to sort of pre-learning for, for people is to watch Climate Change, The Facts, the David Attenborough documentary. And I always feel that that does that. It's a brilliant documentary and amazing to have something like that uh, aired on primetime and things. But it just builds you up into this state of anxiety. And then it's like, right, off you go and have a cup of tea now, everyone. And you're like, what do I do about this? And that's the brilliant thing about carbon literacy training is it gives you that information and yeah. then empowers you and educates you around what you can actually do about it, which is so important, I think. If you go to carbonliteracy.com and scroll to the bottom of the front page, um, there's a Vox Pop from the BBC, who are one of our first uh, partners. And there's a young assistant producer. Um, and the BBC would do a whole day in their room. Um, and... Uh, this guy goes, uh, yep, you end up by lunchtime thinking you're a terrible human being. And then you spend the rest of the day finding out what to do about. Yes. Which I think sums it up so, so nicely. It does. And actually, as a trainer, that's sometimes a little bit difficult to manage in that, you know, the first couple of modules, and especially if I'm doing four two-hour ones, trying to, to mix in the, the bad news with the good news so you don't leave everyone for a week feeling absolutely awful before they come back for the next week's session and things like that. Yep. But they're, yep. they're, I will say to them, they're, they're, this is going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be mm. some uncomfortable stuff we have to we have to learn about and we have to sit with. Um, but really, I want you to feel at the end of it inspired and empowered and motivated and know what you can do to, to take action. We've got a duty as climate people to the emotional impact of this. Because mm. frankly, if you're getting the message across and the people that you're talking to are not scared, they're not paying attention. <laughs> but flip side of that, you've got a responsibility, you've got a duty of care for inducing anxiety mm. in these folk that you're working for, working with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, uh, being... I think we have a slide that talks about the emotional roller coaster yeah, that yeah. gives that reassurance that you, we're going to take you out of this as well. Yes. Yeah. So you said that like you guys don't, you know, don't design courses, but you have a, um, so, so I 
found out about carbon literacy training, went and did a, a great course with Peter at Speak Carbon and um, and then was like, right, this is something I want to develop for my audience. So I come over to you guys and there's a, a, a set of criteria that courses have to meet. So what are the basic things that courses have to cover? Learning outcomes, broadly predictable at the outset. I think there are eight of them and I will forget some, I'm sure, but basically here's climate science. Mm. Yeah with a vital detour to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and why that is a bit godlike in the world mm. of science. So, yeah, here's peer review for science, and here's the IPCC now. Pay attention, you know, which enables people to push back on denialists and sceptics. Mm. And then the, the, the grim moment, why are we bothered? What's the stuff we're trying to avoid? We always advise trainers not to gloss over that because otherwise you're going, hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's back to saving the shrimp, you know, bits of what. I'm nothing against shrimp. Um, but, the, you know, it's, it's, you have to look the grim stuff in the eye and let it sink in. I was talking to some folk from the Ministry of Defence this morning. And, uh, and again, if you're in this zone, I highly recommend a read of the Ministry of Defence's Climate and Sustainability Strategy from, I think, last year. Uh, it's their first and it's pretty blooming good it has to be said because they're taking a whole system approach Mm. but I think on page three or or five of this document there's an infographic which is very plainly designed as you sort of expect from the Ministry of Defence it's very functional and it it just trots through those impacts um, that are predicted from a heating world and uh, drought storm etc um enforced mass migration but it's titled climate change threat and peace mm. you just go oh oh it's not about polar bears is it and it you know particularly relevant for the mod actually it's relevant you know it just nails the relevance to us all mm. um so um we have to to bring that home and then uh get on with there's a learning outcome about the regulatory framework um, COP right down to your parish climate emergency declaration mm. or your, your department within the company type thing. Um, footprint. What the heck is a carbon footprint? Mm. I think we're going to get a bit more about carbon budgeting as well. So not just footprint, but budget. Best practice in your area, in your, in your sector, relevant best practice. And then my favourite uh, a communication person is um, the ability and motivation to communicate this to others. Yeah. So um, I've probably rolled a few of the eight into into one, but that's that's broadly the content. But then it get and broadly predictable. It's the methodology that really makes it stick. So we insist on social learning relevance. Um, all uh, uh, organizational courses we strongly push that a leader, the boss, or someone recognizable within the sector opens the whole thing. Why are we talking climate change, folks? Well, mm, it's because of mm. this. So, it's a re- you know, there's no stretch. We've had some courses where, you know, it's a third of the way through before the penny drops. Oh, yes, this is about my job. Yeah. Um, so getting that out of the way at the beginning, social learning, which means weaving it throughout uh, the day's work. Uh, peer-to-peer delivery. So someone, a colleague or someone um, with the same experience in your sector, that needs to be maximized. 
Um, that's for the sake of credibility. That's the main priority for that, but also affordability. Right, yes. You know, so if you build and retain your own capacity within an organisation, that works really well. And collaborative inquiry is the third methodology. In other words, it can't be a flat screen lecture. There's got to be loads and loads of space for uh, talking about it with your colleagues mm. or mm. neighbours. And that's, that's where it works. I mean, uh, you know, we, we have a lot to do with uh, advising on course design whilst we generally write courses. And a common thing is a, a trainer will be going, how the heck am I going to get this into a day? There's so yes. much. Yeah. And we just go, right, just less is more. Yes. You know, it, it's the, it's that space to talk, dig into it, discuss. That's where the magic happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, um, those are the three methodologies. There are values around the positive value of action. Yes, we can do something. And about equitable solutions and more and more about climate justice. And, and one of the things that you really emphasise, which obviously really fits with the, the message that I talk about a lot, is this idea that individual actions can and do make a difference. Because yep. it's, you know, when when you're doing the course and, and either as the person doing the learning or the person delivering it, you know, a lot of it is big, overwhelming system changes that we need. And it's very easy to sink into that. What's the point? Like, what's the point in me doing anything? What's the point in our little business doing anything? Mm -hmm. And um, that's one of the things, you know, I love that you guys have chosen to or, you know, decided that that's something you're really going to highlight and and champion. In green circles, as you know, there's this constant and inevitably boring refrain of system change. System, Of course we need system change. How the heck are you going to get system change without individual change? Mm. It goes back to our initial vision that without... Uh, individuals acting, buying, voting for this action, it's not, it, we're not going to get that system change. Mm. So yeah. it's absolutely essential. Oh, and by the way, you can actually save some carbon too. Um, so what, what, what day is it today? But yesterday, um, the House of Lords Environment Committee yes. actually brought out this lovely thing that, yeah, it just completely confirms uh, why we exist which is nice there's a whole um they did a whole I don't know if it was a consultation or what was it but they mm. brought out this paper haven't they and it's um talking about the the fact that we won't get we won't hit our net zero goals without engaging individuals consume well let's not call ourselves consumers individuals households mm. families in behaviors behavior changes mm. they were talking about a third of the footprint needs to come from behavior change mm. I need to read it fully that that actually mirrors um I did a podcast with uh, I don't know if you come across the guys at the jump so they're an organization a project that have that sort of looked at the six key shifts that we can take as individuals and and similarly they I think they estimated that individual changes could account for I think it was around 27 or 30 percent mm. so similar um so we you know we really can't we can't do it all of course we can't do it all no one can do it all business can't do it all government can't do it all we can't do it all but yep. together um yep. yeah yeah but nothing will move without individuals yeah, in a in a market driven democracy, that that's that's where we are, terrible or not. You know, in order to change this, we have to uh, demand it. Yeah, and if we don't know that we need to check that this needs to change, and we don't, you know, which is where the whole education piece comes into it, isn't it? Yep. So there's the eight hours worth of training, and then at the end, everybody, in order to be certified, because everybody gets a, a lovely shiny uh, digital certificate, but in order to get that certificate, you have to complete these two. Yep. Um, uh, carbon literacy pledges yeah 
there are three questions at the end. One is, uh, what does it take to create a zero carbon Britain or it's a name of your country here, mm-hmm. which is broadly saying, have you got it? Have you got it? That this is not. Did you pay attention? We're <laughs> not tinkering around the edges anymore. Big, you know. Um, but then the more tangible thing is, what's what's the most significant action you can take as an individual, and what's the most significant action you can take as a group? Something you need permission for. Mm. You devise those, and then um, say why each of those is the most significant thing you can do. About a paragraph on each ish, you know. So it's, it. it we don't go big on essays, mm. you know, because at our end, when we're issuing the, the badge, it's really, are you carbon literate? That's the only question we're, we're trying to mm-hmm. venture. This can go horribly wrong. Um, back in the day, I was um, recruiting a well-known TV actress to uh, take part in a, an audio drama. Happy to tell you about that another time. But <laughs> in this conversation with this wonderful woman, she was hugely motivated on this. And she said, ah, oh, I'm just trying to get my lad, my teenage boy, to turn off his lights in, the, in his bedroom. He just leaves them on. It drives me mad, she was saying. And she said, you know, you, what about the Arctic? What about all those beautiful creatures? You know, and, and they would obviously tussle over this. And she said, yeah, it came to a head where she, she was at his door telling him off again and he stood there with his hand on the light switch flicking it up flicking it on going one less polar bear flick again two less polar bear three less polar bear it could be argued that the little sod actually was carbon literate <laughs> <laughs> he got it he knew his actions were having an impact uh, dot 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 no so so that it comes back to how do you optimize your impact? Mm. And we also, it's not one size fits all. We have to be proportionate in what we judge a carbon literacy as the most significant thing you can do. Let me illus- illustrate the full spectrum. We're working with a, a humongous civil engineering project and their first cohort to go through was the entire C-suite. And uh, we witnessed at this action pledging end of the session, the chief exec said, right, our action, we're going to move forward our net zero date by a decade. Wow. Are you with me? Um, Obviously, his his team go, yes, boss. (laughs) (laughs) Now, hugely complex and challenging and hopefully achievable, but even to put that on the table as a result mm. of, uh, of carbon literacy training, absolutely superb. At the other end of the spectrum, one of our early trainees was a security guard at the next store in Manchester Armdale. And he would say, he, he told the trainer, well, you know what? Um, all our clothes, they come off the back of a lorry in long plastic tubes, like long Swiss rolls. Mm. And those the plastic wrapping we throw straight in the bin goes to landfill. That that's that's just wrong, isn't it? My idea is uh, I'm going to keep those plastic tubes. I'm going to cut them into sort of meter lengths. Tape up one end of each chunk. I've got bin bags, haven't I? Amazing. Yeah. No. Amazing. Until you actually say, mm, carbon footprint, carbon saving. Mm, yeah. Not a lot. Culture shift fantastic 
So this is someone on the shop floor, literally going, now I've got this idea. It's my idea. I'm going to do it. It's going to be visible. So why are you doing this, Fred, whatever their name was? Uh, well, it's like this. You could see the conversations flow. Mm. And this is about embedding this in everyone's work life and their, 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 their culture mm. in a very, very practical way. So it doesn't matter who you are. You know, it's, it's exactly that. My idea, um, I can do it, having permission to do it, and mm. it's proportional. And sometimes it's indirect yes. as well. So, you know, we're perfectly happy with people enabling other conversations. Mm. Yeah, I think I had someone who said he was his his action was he was going to go away and literally stop the next 10 people he saw in the street and have a try and have a climate conversation with them. And I was like, oh, my God, you're so much braver than me, but go for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. The other thing I really like is, A, a we're getting people to do actions, but B, there's an individual action and a group action and that recognition that, you know, yes, we can ch make changes on our own, but actually the agency that we have to influence others by coming together with a group action is yep. is often uh, mm. sort of more significant or we could argue which was more significant and things. But I think that recognition that 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 we're, we're always part of something bigger as well is, mm. is super mm. important. It is absolutely essential. And moving on whole communities, whether mm. that be a workforce or a neighbourhood or, or a university class, mm. Um, mm. That, that moving together thing is absolutely vital. You might know this, Jen. Who came up with this meme that um, we don't act on climate because it's not me, it's not us, it's not here, it's not now? Don't know. I, it's, it's an old, old goal, you know, oh. origins yeah, lost yeah. in the midst, midst of time. Maybe a listener could tell us. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you knock those down and you have momentum. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you do that really, really quickly. Mm. And the upside of down about the increased incidence of weather events, um, mm. we go to, you know, how many times, um, even going back to the Boxing Day floods of 2015, I remember talking to housing folk for years after that, saying, right, what were you doing on Boxing Day uh, 2015? How many of you were out helping tenants uh, out of flooded homes? Hands go up. Mm. Suddenly it's real. Yeah, Not about yeah, yeah. polar bears. Mm. Uh, um, and I, I was talking to a, um, a group of uh, stately homes by invitation. And um, I just started. I went off piece a bit. I had my, my presentation lined up, but I, I, I just jumped straight in and said, okay, how, how many of you have had to shut your places um, to visitors in the last year? How many times? Two or three times? All hands went up. Mm -hmm. more, that's more than the last five or ten years? Everyone nods. Lose lots of money? Everyone nods a lot. Mm. So do you want more extreme weather? Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about climate change then? Come on. You know? yeah. So it's it, that... As carbon really. And I think that's that's where you're saying about the, you know, making it as specific and as relevant as you can to whoever you're delivering it to, because you can talk about the local impacts or how climate's going to impact on that particular business and and uh, and how that business impacts climate as well. But do you also I also think that um because you said there's open courses that that people can come and can sign up on and and that's amazing. But the people who come on that are already engaged we're already on the on the path with them 
And I think one of the great things about the fact that there's lots of organizations taking it on and delivering it to their um, employees and to their staff is that some of those people be people who wouldn't choose to come and give up four Monday evenings in a row to hear me chat away to them. And so we're it's an, it's another way in and it's, you know, constantly in the in the climate space, we're thinking about how do we engage those who aren't already engaged. And I think through through workplaces is a, is a huge way of doing it, isn't it? Um in these multiple conversations I have, one of the, the most frequently asked questions is how many people, who gets trained? Do we have to train everyone? Mm. No, no, no. To which my stock answer is, um, what does it take to create an impactful low-carbon culture in your organisation? It's got to be top-down. Without mm. the C-suite, nothing's going to move. And you'll get, that's one of the biggest areas of pushback. Do you know who I am? Have you seen my diary? you know, from, from the C-suite. Right? That, was, that was a crass bit of stereotyping. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it worked. But, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, top down, bottom up. So empower the existing advocates with more skills and permission mm. to do more. And then you do still have to mandate others with the big carbon levers. But the crucial thing is staff. So um, the Department of Transport are one of the sort of dozen or so central government organisations rolling with, uh, with carbon literacy. And in the um, run-up to COP, Glasgow, uh, they opened 240 training places to staff. Great statement of intent, walk in the mm. walk. Um, they opened bookings on their internal social media, very, very little fanfare, and the places booked in six hours flat wow um when they get standby places come up they go in minutes mm. and this wonderful trainer at department for transport said you know you are the glastonbury of internal training <laughs> i want that <laughs> it might be my first tattoo you know it's yeah. it, 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 it's it's marvelous yeah. yeah but the point i'm making is it's popular yeah i think there's a wish for it in principle, because this is nagging at people. We are now absolutely in a zone where the vast majority of people recognize the climate crisis as a crisis that impacts mm -hmm. on them and want to know what to do. So the ability of carbon literacy to do that and to do that in the workplace, well, I can do this at work mm. and actually help secure a safer safer future for my kids yeah I have that yeah and it's really great as well because it helps you to lots of us might be doing making little changes at home and doing things at home but there's there's sometimes a disconnect between our sort of personal self and our work self isn't there or we don't feel empowered enough to be asking the questions as to why things aren't um aren't happening at work and to to really help people to recognize where their agency and their their power sits within their role that's um that seems to be something i'm seeing sort of pennies drop and things with as mm -hmm. well and a lovely viewpoint from um the c-suite uh a uh, a bbc boss talked about how wonderful it was that she didn't have to do anything once she trained her colleagues at the top table and empowered her champions everything got done Mm. The, the, you know, it, it had its own momentum. And that bit about retaining capacity, the word will spread as mm. well. So enabling staff, well, they hear about it. Oh, okay, can I do that? Yeah, your next session is here. You know, so it will grow. 
And then the parallels are made consistently with the growth, whether now historical growth, safety growth, but also of um, the embedding of diversity into mm. workplace values and competence. Mm. It's just got to be there. Did, did I hear you say, because um, I love telling the story of um, auto trader becoming, uh, you know, coming on board and things because it's a sector that we wouldn't normally associate with um, climate action or, you know, there's some significant work to be done. But did I, did I hear either you or Dave saying that, that now that's a, a part of their new, new um, staff enrolment is that they have to do carbon literacy training or did I make that up? Again, as an environmentalist, I love being able to say our first FTSE 100 is auto trader. And to give them their full degree, they haven't just trained their own. Um, they have now uh, enabled us, funded us to take a version of what they ran internally across the entirety of the automotive sector. We have our first sign up within car manufacturers, Nissan GB, are training their own up in Sunderland. Um, extraordinary spread of stuff going on from there. And you join Auto Trader, and one of the first things you get in your induction is carbon limits. Yeah. And then they're doing it because it's a, the right thing to do. It's also a really smart thing to do. Employer, what a great badge for being a purposeful employer. Yeah, as soon as you, first thing you do is something that's saying, we this is something that we're holding really high as part of our ethos and our values and our, yep. yeah, yeah. Again, you know, you wouldn't think it without knowing the organisation. They've got an extraordinary reputation uh, for being a good employer. Mm. They're consistently up in all those, those league tables. Very flat hierarchy. The, the Carbon Literacy Initiative grew from staff voice. Um, and it's all, you know, it, it's not token. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's not tucked away in the corner of CSR or something. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just a, a, that's the sustainability department over there doing it. It's, it's really embedded in the whole company. Can you just talk to us briefly about the, you talk about the sort of cascade effect and how, because once you've done your carbon literacy training and got your shiny certificate, you are then able to develop and deliver training. And that again, is one of those things that just helps the, the spread of it. So how does that work? So We've always felt that scale is absolutely essential. This stuff is vital and we've got to enable it to spread as fast as possible mm. within the constraints of quality control through external validation. Um, so how do we do that? And we've homed in on the quality of the course and the quality of the evidence that comes out of, from the learners. And we felt that actually having to certify trains would be unnecessary duplication because frankly, we'll spot rubbish training a mile off and that trainer will suddenly have you know, a group of fails mm. um, in their cohort. So we've got uh, quality control in place there. So what that means is that we say anyone who's carbon literate or actually knows their climate stuff, preferably carbon literate, with a bit of training experience, get on and train. Mm. And if you need to design a course, we support that. We've got more and more generic materials that you can use, more and more in the way of sort of adaptable construction kits, and more and more shareable training courses that can work across entire sectors. If you're in the public sector, if you are in deep breath, uh, central government, local government, the NHS, universities or FE, or the emergency services, we have uh, shareable training 
resources. And these are pre-accredited courses with a really great slide deck <laughs> and a very, very detailed trainer manual. And if you're using that trainer manual, actually you need very little experience. So those resources, and we're, we're trying to replicate that sector-wide approach into the uh, private sector. I mentioned automotive. Uh, we've just launched our initiative for construction as well. Amazing. Hopeful of something coming through with agriculture. Wow. And legal, maybe logistics. Da, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, so again, we're trying to lower barriers to entry whilst retaining quality of outcomes. Mm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in two minds whether to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you it. Uh, carbon literacy and education. I, you know, there's been the the new Department for Education strategy came out in April, and I think carbon literacy was specifically mentioned. Um, do you do you know yet how, what that's going to look like? Or I'm in a relatively informed position because um, the Climate and Sustainability Unit at the Department for Education are blooming brilliant. What a they... great bunch of civil servants. No, you know, and I shouldn't even say that. I'm surprised that they're hugely competent and open. Um, their whole approach is, uh, you know, collectively how to do this. Uh, we're here to enable it, which is great. So um, we're part of a small working group um, looking at the climate action plan part of the strategy. So step back for a moment. Here we have a strategy that is not um, being embedded in the curriculum, nor at the moment being uh, embraced by Ofsted. Okay. So it's a strategy that actually ha its take up will be wholly determined by the benefits it brings to uh, educational settings. In short, every setting has to devise a climate action plan quite what that is is one of the things we're working on mm -hmm. but again there's a there's a will not to reinvent the wheel it mm -hmm. might be a close adaptation of a good thing that's out there already mm -hmm. so yeah a climate action plan for every setting and that's nurseries to universities and yeah, every yeah. point in yeah. between anything that's a state maintained education setting will be asked to devise a climate action plan the person with the responsibility to see that drafted and delivered is going to be a sustainability lead. Now, who's that going to be? Is it going to be the principal? It's going to be the bursar, chair of governors, or the eco-teacher, you know, the, the one in every staff room mm -hmm. um, enthusiast. Um, again, we're working on that too. It might be a mixture, but yeah. that person is going to be carbon literacy trained. Okay. Brilliant. Which is why we're around the table. So mm. um, it's going to be a pretty job-specific uh, how, do, how do we do this thing? Mm. And our current view is that that training will be delivered locally by existing networks, and our job will be to give those mm. resources to mm. those, those uh, training networks, that capacity there. And I know you you said to me, I think, I don't know if it was part of your pilot um, all those years ago when you started, but that um, at one point there was some delivery into um, schools and, and children of different ages and things, because it kind of strikes me that, like if all of our kids could come out of school uh, carbon literate, surely we're then on to a, you know, um, half the job's done, is it? I don't know. Yes but, and um, no, Jen. Yes and no. Uh, on the yes front, uh, yeah, wow, you know, you'll soon see um, the world coming into line. 
um, with a, a new generation of the carbon nitro, but we haven't got time for that. Mm. And, and the, the, the no is that it could be framed as the most enormous cop-out. You know, I, I right. bristle a bit when, when I hear people say, oh, the young people get it. Yes. I haven't got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't got time. Yeah. You know, um, those targets we've got to get to in the next five years, the, the speed and scale of change that science yeah. is shouting at us for, uh, you know, to say, oh, the kids are sorted out. That That's no, that's appalling. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, yeah. we've got to embed it, but we've also, in education, but we've also got to do that in parallel with agents, recognising mm. that mandate without the need for the kids to drop out of school on a Friday. Yeah, you know. Um, so yes, we need that in school. Our earliest, one of our earliest pilots w- was with um, older primary kids, key stage two kids, in a fantastic uh, inner city school in Russia, in Manchester, and um, it's delivered by a great charity called uh, Manchester Environment Education Network. Who we went to these pupils and said, "Well, what did you reckon?" And they went, "Yeah, it's great. Can we do this for our parents now?" Yeah. Immediately, straight in on the need for agency. So we yeah. have a key stage two pack called the Carbon Classroom, which ends the eighth lesson of this eight lesson scheme, ends with the kids teaching adults. I mean, and, and the, the thing is, I just think you can't say no. Do you know when your kid's coming up to you and, uh, you know, we've had this in my community before, people saying, oh, like, you know, Christmas is coming up and there's always this discomfort around Oh, and it's usually either the grandparents or the in-laws who are kind of buying too much stuff for the kids and it causes lots of stress and uh, lots of, you know, uncomfortable conversations. But actually, if you get the kids bouncing up to their grandparents going, please don't buy me anything plastic because we, we're we trying to, you know, save the whales or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Oh, oh, suddenly they're taking, they're paying attention rather than you being the meanie old parent who's depriving them of all this stuff. Yep, 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 yep. Yes, yes, yes. Puritan hippies take your hair shirt off. Um yeah, so it's vital to empower and to lay the foundations for a universally green uh, workforce, etc. Mm. But don't let it be a cop out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, we we really haven't got time um, to allow you know for those young people to become our leaders. I mean, we should acknowledge them as our leaders already, of course, in this context. But um, there is some great stuff going on. Some am- amazing work. Uh, if, if people in the field haven't come across the National Climate Education Plan Forum, oh, okay. being, uh, convened at Reading Uni, um, a fantastic network of mainly people delivering climate education. There's a wealth of great material out there. If you're in Scotland, um, Keep Scotland Beautiful, who are mm. our lead partner up there, they deliver uh, climate ready classrooms into high schools funded by Holyrood. Hello, that's a good idea. Yes. And they're doing that at scale. We're just talking to our colleagues in Northern Ireland who are hoping to bring uh, carbon industry training to the staff room and, mm-hmm. and some really good Yeah, there's There is a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it makes for very, very rich uh, education as well. Loads of other core skills come in the train. Yeah, definitely. And and we've got a couple of um, episodes, one with Paul Turner from Ministry for Eco Education, who's um, they've worked to develop a whole uh, key stage one and two curriculum. And I think um, Jess from UK um, School Sustainability Network and things. So there's loads of amazingly exciting stuff going on. Uh, I'm sure you've got a whole cache of like favourite stories and, um, you know, 
brilliant, uplifting tales to tell. Can I ask you to pick a favourite? That's really hard. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> this is one about how you optimise your clout. Um, so we don't train um, unless Andy Burnham asks us to. Um, so, <laughs> so we did offer some free training for some public sector bosses um, for, um, yeah, for Mr. Burnham, who gets it, by the way, big time. You'll be glad to hear. Um, and one of the people who was told to attend was the then treasurer of one of our borough councils. So he wasn't a volunteer. He was told to go and represent the council. He sat through our obviously brilliant training, came out with that hallelujah moment. Yeah, he's got it. My goodness. And uh, as a council treasurer, one of the things he had to do was buy bin lorries. He had a procurement framework for the council-owned uh, collection service to buy a fleet of bin lorries every seven years. No wow. idea why it's seven years. That's what you do. Um, and he went into his, his team and he says, team, I want electric bin lorries. And the team went, eh, sorry, boss, there's a prototype in Sheffield. Um, no fleet yet, boss. There will be. What do you mean there will be? Yeah, you know, they'll be, they'll be, they're coming in in, mm. in no time. Uh, go away and research this. They came back. Okay, um, so what sort of a fleet will, if we get the best diesel stuff now, and if you think, you know, these monsters have got three or four miles to the gallon. Mm. Wow. Um, seven years' time, we will have a fleet of obsolete polluting rubbish bin uh, lorries. Uh, okay. Right, we're tearing up the procurement framework. That was his action. Tear up the procurement framework and make it fit for purpose with his carbon literacy. But now what they do is buy a few trucks every few years so they're not, they're not lumbered with a whole fleet of rapidly changing tech. Mm. But the bins keep being collected. So, yeah. you know, he, he was able to add this to his value matrix his, his priority matrix effectively and as a finance director what's the best thing he could do was actually tear up his procurement framework and, and build another one which which takes some some um some balls shall we say uh you know to to kind of go right back now i guess it's similar with um you know product-based businesses having to go back to the back to the um drawing yeah. board in terms of circularity of design and you know all those sorts of things isn't it um, so if people are listening and they think, wow, that's amazing. Um, I want to, you know, find out if there's open courses and things. Obviously, I will link to my courses on the website, but there's um, where do they go on the Carbon Literacy Project? So carbonliteracy.com, which by our rapid growth and diversity has turned out to be a very diverse. <laughs> um, there's a lot in that website, but yeah, have a dig is. around. Uh, drop us a line via the contact form and myself or colleagues happily talk to you um there is there really is something for everyone no yeah mm. really really um in the as i say that multiplicity of conversations i've had a, a, yeah some people have said no but it wasn't because it wasn't relevant yeah we've got you know it's relevant to us all and we've got a tool that anyone can use mm. i should say a cheap tool <laughs> by the way and and that's so people are listening and they think this this sounds amazing and i would love to go with the proposal for my you know workplace or whatever as you say it's it's something that 
once you've got one person trained up within an organization, then it becomes much more cost effective for it's not having to, you're not necessarily having to pay a um, expensive trainer to come in and deliver something. You can train one person up and they can then develop a course that can be rolled out within the organization. So um, again, if people are thinking about, you know, I'm really happy to chat to people as well, um, but you will get more expert answers from the Carbonity Project. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, so uh, I would really, really encourage people to to check it out. It's it's you know transformed. Um, you know, it's been a real opportunity for me in terms of being able to to develop and deliver something for my audience and and um, other opportunities and things like that. But I really seeing the those penny drop moments and you know every time I get people's forms back I just spend the afternoon smiling it just is wonderful to see because very often it's very intangible when you're trying to push climate action you think am I really making a difference and you get these forms back and you think wow yes yes these people have listened and they're doing something and this is brilliant so um so thank you to you guys and thank you to you and Dave for starting it into the team and thank you so much for your time you're very very welcome thanks for having us along there Jen no problem at all been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.